After losing her job in 2020, she started an Etsy shop and it has made over $500,000 on Etsy in just two years without touching any inventory. Today, we're talking with full-time seller, Cassie Johnson, about how she grew her Etsy print on demand shop and the strategies that she uses to create consistent and growing sales. Be sure to watch the entire video, guys. You won't hear any of these strategies anywhere else, uh, stuff that you haven't heard before. So let's dive into the conversation now. Awesome. Cassie, how are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the channel. I really appreciate it. Um, we're so curious. Tell us your story and how, how you found Etsy. Absolutely. So in 2020, like a lot of people, I ended up losing my job in March. And so I was home and looking for something to do. And I stumbled across a YouTube channel teaching print on demand and Etsy. And I'm the kind of person who just gets excited about things and does it right away. So within 24 hours, I had an Etsy shop and I had my first listing up for sale. <laughs> Crazy. Okay. Well, back up. So we're going to digest that a little bit. So you lost your job in 2020 mm -hmm. and you were going on YouTube trying to figure out probably what the next, I don't know, look for something interesting. Is that kind of like why you went to YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. I was looking for ways to make money online, you know, and I ran across a lot of like drop shipping type videos, you know, find products from China, sell it on a Shopify store. And that all just sounded like a lot. Uh, but then as soon as I found a video about Etsy print on demand, it was like, Hey, you can start this literally today in 10 minutes. And uh, so, yeah, I just started. That's interesting. And probably print on demand was because one, you mentioned like, it's just easy, fast to start. Um, mm -hmm. Probably you got attracted to like the lower cost to start also and naturally like just a little less investment probably to go into. Yeah, pretty close to free. I mean, you have to buy some mock-ups and pay some 20 cent listing fees on Etsy, but pretty low barrier to entry. You know, you don't have to apply to sell on Etsy. You can just open up your shop and start that day, which I think was the big allure to me at the time. Big time. I totally agree. Like uh, I've experienced on like selling Amazon, Walmart and stuff like that. And like coming to Etsy versus all those other platforms was night and day difference. It was so fast. You can get up and running very quickly, very cheaply. Uh, so I, I totally agree with that. Um, and you yeah, are, I, go ahead, sorry. I would say I'm a shopper of Etsy for years. And so I was already familiar with kind of the platform and what people sell on there. And I bought lots of presents. And so I felt really comfortable with it since I've already used it for years. So cool. Um, where did you, like, where did you get the idea for, for what, you know, kind of niches that you wanted to go into, right? For having an Etsy shop. Is it because you were already buying some of the things that you wanted to sell or like, how did you get to that world? Absolutely. So in the beginning and still now, you know, it's kind of a game of seeing what other people are already selling. You know, especially when you first start, it's hard to know what people buy t-shirts for, you know, in your head, you're like thinking, there's only certain things people would buy t-shirts for, but people buy shirts for every holiday, every occasion, every season. And so in the beginning, it's kind of overwhelming. And I found myself making a lot of like really generic shirts, like, you know, but first coffee, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and I found those just by looking through the Etsy search results and seeing what people had bestseller badges on. And if say there was like a bestseller badge on a butt first coffee shirt, you know, I'd make my own version of the text on a shirt, obviously given if it wasn't trademarked and then I would list that for sale. I love it. Okay, cool. Um, when did you kind of, so trying to go back to your first 
for story as well. Like, so 2020, you found you found a YouTube video, you started your Etsy shop in the same day. You mm -hmm. created your own listing, same day or different day? First listing. I'm sorry, what was that? The first listing that you created, was it the first day or is it like a couple days after? When did no, you I had my first listing up the first day. Yep, I made one in three seconds and put it up there. You know, one thing that I have as a superpower is I don't overthink things as often, which sometimes is bad, but in cases like this, it's good. A lot of people sit and spend 30 minutes on a design and try and make it perfect. But usually if you just put some words on one cute graphic, you know, you're good to go. You don't have to make things 17 different colors and four graphics and just the right size, you know, simple really does sell better sometimes. I love that. Okay. And then when did you think, how long did it take to get your first sale? I actually got my first sale within 24 hours. I think that was just kind of like, um, a lot because my mother-in-law bought from me, which I wasn't counting as my first sale. That was very sweet of her, but because she bought a mug from me, that same mug sold that day as well from someone else. So you do get a little boost in the algorithm if someone else buys something from you. And so I did kind of get that immediate gratification. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, at that point you're probably hooked. You're like, wow, this is the platform for me. At least there's like immediate traction, kind of immediate. And um, I think that's what, we could probably spend some time talking about that a little bit too, is like how that happened. You just mentioned that your mother-in-law purchased that, that product from you that kind of sparked the algorithm to be like, hey, I think like that thing converted pretty quickly. And then it probably showed it to more people. And then you happen to convert on another one because the listing was probably good and the product was good and all these other things were good. And sure enough, it just kind of like steamrolls from there. Is that, would you agree? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the big reasons it sold as well is, you know, if you go by what's selling right now, then people are looking for that right now. So that particular item was a quarantine themed item. And so that was a really hot seller at the time. You know, people couldn't see each other, it was social distance. And so a lot of people were sending each other gifts. And so that's exactly what mine was. So I think it's part, you know, having good, simple designs, getting it up there, but having what's selling right now is really important. I love that. Um, that's awesome. And just to give everybody some context, you are, what do you do full time now? Now that you, you lost your job in 2020, tell us about your, like your full-time gig or however you want to put it. Absolutely. So in June of 2021, I officially quit my full-time job that I went back to after quarantine or a different job anyways. And so since June of 2021, so just coming up almost on a year, I've been full-time just on Etsy. And then in the last six weeks, I started a YouTube channel that I'm doing full-time now as well. I love that. It's so, so inspiring, right? Like everybody listening to this, the, they're inspired because they want to be where you are, right? We all, a lot of us are very similar, right? We all want to have like time freedom. We want to have financial freedom and we want to have like those freedoms, you know, that, that you pretty much have with your Etsy shop. And obviously you're going to different ventures now and educating people on how they can do it too. And that's super amazing. Um, when, when you went into Etsy, like 2020, what was your mindset? Is your mindset of, Hey, I want to do X amount of dollars in revenue or profit from my Etsy, Etsy shop in one year. Or like, how did you even think about that? Absolutely. So I didn't go into it with a ton of expectations. You know, the video I had watched teaching you how to do it, they were like, well, I sold $759,000 in my first eight months, you know? Yep. And so I figured that might not happen. Um, but I had high hopes, you know, I just wanted to make a bunch of money. But even at that time, I don't think that I was, 
really thinking like right off the bat, this is it, this is how I want to make a full-time income. It was more like I've always been interested in having a side hustle. Maybe this could be it. It's amazing. And it actually worked because you, because you put the work into it. Um, you were in another conversation that we had, and I wanted to share that too, is talk about the, the amount of listings, right? Like you didn't just get lucky. I want to make that very clear. Like you didn't just get lucky. You're not a one-off like lucky scenario where, where you happen to start in 2020 and you happen to get your first sale in 24, 24 hours. And then you're just like, you know, everything works great for, for Cassie, right? Like you mentioned you had tons of listings. Can you talk to me about like how many listings that you have in your shop? And so everybody can kind of hear the amount of work that you have put in. Absolutely. So I've just been just under two years total. So I think it's like the first week in May is when I officially, officially started my Etsy shop. And in that time, I don't have this many listings active anymore because sometimes things fell off, but I've made over 5,000 listings. Amazing. In two years. Yeah. In two years. So it's been a lot of work. You know, I think a lot of that just helps you get into new niches. You know, my philosophy with Etsy is that it is a general store. You know, most people coming to Etsy have something particular in mind. They're going to come search it in the search bar and they're going to look through those results and compare you and the other people that have similar items for sale and they're going to buy the one that they want. And so if sometimes people will click on your store and actually shop just from your store, but I'd say that's probably not as common as people mm -hmm. just buying from the actual search results. So kind of my philosophy there was I want to try and be in as many niches as possible to find the ones that are profitable for me. And so I'll put, you know, one new shirt or five new shirts into a niche I've never sold before. And then if it starts selling, I add that to new colors. I add it to tote bags. I add it to mugs. I add it on sweatshirts. And I'll really just make different versions of it, make a couple shirts of it. You know, so as soon as you find some of that success, yeah. then I really try and capitalize on it. Yeah, you double down on what's already working. Exactly. That's the easiest way to make more money for sure. I think there's, there's so much there that probably everybody can take away from, but I think at the fundamental, like the fundamentals of that, of do what, do more of what is already working, right. And just do more of it, change it a little bit, just do more of it. I think that's the whole, that's the whole thing with online, online selling. Like we don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time. Um, I think it's also amazing how you mentioned that you, you're more subscribed to the type of thinking of like a general type of store. Whereas like that's contrary to the majority of stuff we hear on YouTube, on blogs, things like that, about like you need to niche down, niche down, niche down. Um, I'm curious, like, when did you kind of decide that you're going to be more of a general store? Did you go into that thinking that way? Or how's your, how did you frame your mind, your thinking around that? Yeah, you know, just it just so happened that the videos that I saw recommended doing it that way. And so I didn't even know that people did niche stores when I started, which I think worked out really well for me. I think there's some niches that sell all year round, but most niches are seasonal. And so it's hard to have a consistent business 12 months out of the year, every year, forever selling just one niche. And so I think being in all these different niches has really allowed me to have a really consistent income while being full-time on Etsy. I think that's, that's powerful for everybody to hear too, because that's the way I view Etsy. It's a, it's a search engine, right? It's, if you want to compare it to Amazon, compare it to Amazon, right? And some people would hate that, but point is like people go there with a high buying intent. 
they're looking to buy something specific. Um, they may be a little bit more shopper intent, like on Etsy versus Amazon, like Amazon, if I'm looking for a mouse pad, right? Like I'm looking for a mouse pad and that's pretty much it. Whereas Etsy, I'm typing a mouse pad and I may be thinking about like, well, I want one customized for me or I want like one special or something like that, which is, but it's still the same kind of thing. Um, I don't know if that's a good example or not, but, uh, like I agree with like having more general cause you have where you get spread out across, across the platform and you have more opportunity to, to convert on buyers. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, on Amazon, for instance, until I started selling online, I thought everything on Amazon was for sale by Amazon. I didn't know that it was like a bunch of little individual people selling everything. You know, I knew that about Etsy because it before it was just a handmade market and that's kind of how it was marketed, you know, but definitely in the last few years when they changed the rules that your items just have to be unique, but you can use a print provider, you know, that's definitely opened a lot more uh, doors for people yeah. you know, before you'd have to own your own cricket or your own t-shirt printing. And that's a lot of extra work. You know, I think most people are probably in the, t-shirt world doing print on demand now because I'm just a one person business. If I was printing all these myself, you know, in um, November of 2021, I think I sold 2,400 shirts. I can't imagine having to have sat down around the holidays and hand printed, you know, that many. Yeah. So it definitely lets you kind of scale it quite a bit more. I agree. Yeah. Print on demand is certainly like an amazing opportunity that's like available for literally anybody with a computer, right? It's it's wild. I definitely like I my hats off. I give my hats off to people that own their own heat press, their own their own printer, all those things. That's amazing. That's but it's just I understand now. Or I've always understood like that's a disadvantage in a lot of ways. Um, just because you now you have to like man that heat press, and then you also have to like if you don't want to do it, then you have to have an employee. And by the way, where you where do you live? Probably in the U.S. or like somewhere that's pretty expensive labor, right? So now you have a more yeah. overhead and you're more risk. So the, I do I do love print on demand for that world or for that for that reason. One downside with print on demand is obviously the competition because it's low hanging fruit. Pretty much anybody can have a print on demand store. How do you separate yourself from from the competitors and your niches? Absolutely. That's a great question. So there's always new niches, I think is the biggest thing. You know, I think um, a lot of people are worried that Etsy is oversaturated. So I think you are not alone in saying those words. You know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, there's 40,000 coffee themed shirts. How would I ever get seen? And there's a couple different things that go into me saying it's not oversaturated is I think Etsy came out saying that they have like 90 million buyers a year mm -hmm. and only like 5 million active sellers. And so there's still a really big gap for all of us to fill, to sell all the things to those customers. You know, there's a big market. And the nice thing about the way that the Etsy algorithm works is everyone, when you search something, you're going to get completely different results based on what you've purchased, what you've clicked on and where you live. And so if I live here in Michigan, someone that lives in Michigan as well is more likely to see my listings than someone else. Hmm. And so I don't think that it's unrealistic to think that you can get on the first page of some of these things. A lot of people think that you can't get seen, but if you just have a design that stands out, really great mock-ups and the right SEO, you know, I've ranked for the first page of things like teacher sweatshirt 
which is one of the highest searched mm -hmm. keywords for that. And last month, my most highest search term on my Etsy shop was bachelorette party shirts, not even a specific one. Mm -hmm. And so you really can rank for those things, but you have to put in the work first. You know, yeah. you have to fill out your entire Etsy shop. You have to make unique designs, have gorgeous mock-ups, the prettiest ones you can find anywhere, have your description fully filled out, have your FAQs fully filled out. You know, you get ranked by Etsy on all of those things combined yes. to get your listing score. So just to stand out as far as designs go, my favorite way to make sure I stand out is to look through the first or second pages of the results, see what everyone is designing, and try and do something that's been successful in a different niche. There's a lot of different design styles out there, you know, so I might say, you know, everyone on this page is making like a blocky text with cursive underneath it with every other letter being a different color. And that's pretty much the whole first and second page because a lot of people like to copy each other and do things just a tiny bit different. So maybe in that case, you know, I'd take a popular style I've seen in a different niche and put like a rainbow with just cursive underneath it. You know, do something I've already been seen successful for a different niche and bring it to that niche that doesn't have anything that looks like it. I so again, it. only doing things that you've seen success with, but bringing it to somewhere that hasn't seen it before. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, again, you're trying to replicate the success that you're seeing from another niche. Oh, so in regards to, you're going back a little bit, regards to the ranking, right? And how you showed up for, I think, Teacher Sweatshirt, you said, I think it's also important for everybody to hear is everybody gets a chance to be ranked. Like everyone has a time to shine. Like for example, if I launch a teacher sweatshirt today uh, and it's a brand new listing, very likely my listing is actually going to be ranked for that teacher sweatshirt at some point for a short period of time. It's like what we call right. a honeymoon period. Um, that's the same thing where we see like if we type in teacher sweatshirt right now, you're going to go through a bunch of results on the first page and you're going to see some that have like thousands and th thousands of sales. And then you're going to see a listing that has like five sales or 10 sales, right? It's like a brand new listing. You're like, how the heck did that thing even gone there? Um, the algorithm rotates the listings actually to that first page it actually gives everyone a shot to see if it, see if it performs well. So it's kind of a nice way for Etsy to kind of test out your listing. So I think that's what you're kind of saying is it's the complete package that matters. It's, it's all of it. It's the descriptions, the titles, SEO, it's the FAQs, the images, the video, if you can write the mockups, all of it. And it presents your product in the best light possible. And then if you do well, the market will respond positively to it, which will convert in a sale. Right, exactly. If you have all the right pieces in place, then you're giving yourself the best shot. It's hard though, because I think a lot of people get bogged down with the kind of like details of having an Etsy shop. You know, a lot of people that I know, they'll spend hours looking through the, you know, out the um, like statistics and their favorites and be like, well, I've gotten 20 favorites on this shirt. Why hasn't it sold? And they'll spend half their time working, looking at the past. And I think that that's kind of a big mistake. One thing I did after a couple months starting my Etsy shop that I think did me a lot of favors is turning off the notifications for favorites altogether mm -hmm. forever. I haven't looked at my favorites in almost two years at this point. It's been a really long time. And so I think, it's, it call, all comes back, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is the 80-20 rule. You know, you're going to list 100 things, 80 of them will probably never sell, and the 20 of them are going to sell 
the majority of your business. And so the more listings that you can get up there, the more things you can try, different colors, different mock-ups and figure out what's working and then capitalize on those, you'll do better than kind of dwelling on the little things is a big mistake I see a lot of people making. Cassie nailed that. I totally, a huge subscriber to like the 80-20 power law type of that rule. It's real. It's so real. It's been real in Etsy. It's been real for all the other e-commerce platforms. It's real in life, probably in general, right? Oh. Um, there's a reason why it's a thing. Uh, but I agree. Like the, the successful shops that I that I speak with, that I see, that I analyze are, they have like a thousand listings and the majority of them, literally like the majority of them are terrible, terrible sales. Like they don't really do anything. Right. Like only 20% of them carry their entire shop revenue and really make that shop you know, deemed successful. So it's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah, I think it's something a lot of people need to hear. So I'm glad you agree. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I, I kind of preach that on our on our channel also. Um, what's your process for creating the amount of listings that you have? Because it seems like that's a daunting amount of listings. That's a daunting amount of work to majority of people. How do you create that many listings efficiently? Absolutely. So that is kind of my specialty. I think if there was anywhere that I particularly shine compared to other people, it'd be there. And I've got a really kind of simple formula to it. So what I do is I make a template for a design. So like, let's use that rainbow design I talked about earlier. Maybe I find an adorable rainbow graphic and I put cursive words underneath it. And if I start getting sales on that design, then I'll add that to new niches. So I'll just put something else in cursive underneath. You know, maybe I'll do first grade teacher year. Maybe I'll do speech therapist. Maybe I'll do one more chapter reading niche, but it all looks identical because I've already found out that that design style people enjoy. And so I can make new designs in new niches this quick. Mm. And then when I find a new template of a design that I like that starts to sell well, guess what? I take that same design and I go back and I remake all the niches I've been successful in again using the exact same SEO. Wow. And so I'm really only making probably five or six different design style shirts. If you look through all my listings, they're all really similar looking, but I'm just in hundreds of niches and then my shirts all look exactly the same. And then when I go to list them to give myself the best opportunity to sell, I'll put it on two to three color shirts in three listings two to three color sweatshirts in two to three listings, a mug, a tote bag, maybe an accessory pouch. Mm -hmm. And you use that exact same SEO for all of those items, but just switch out the word mug for shirt and sweatshirt and so on. So I can get 50 listings up in a day, no problem with, you know, 10 designs. And then if they don't perform well, which it's without a doubt, some don't perform yeah. and some do, but if I hadn't listed all of them, maybe I wouldn't have found the one that eventually sold a hundred okay. things while the other sold nothing. So after, you know, um, the period where it renews, I usually give things at least two renewal periods to see if they sell. And if they don't, you know, I let those ones expire. So it is kind of just like, um, a shotgun approach, you know, you're just throwing everything out and seeing what sticks. But uh, I know some people are magical unicorns and can list 300 listings and get 15,000 sales, but that's just not me. I have not found that success. Uh, this is kind of the way that I've found works best for me. I love it. Yeah, you're basically like using, re you're reusing what you've already done and just you're applying it to different 
different products, different niches. I think it's so great for everyone to hear that because so often I speak with people that like they, they have this one product, they are, they have like, you know, 50 listings and they're just, they're struggling to get, you know, their, their sales. And they're just wondering why. And they're trying to like tweak their tags and tweak their tags and tweak their tags. And they're just not getting any traction. And I think, I think it's just so important to be like, sometimes you have to go more shotgun approach and you have to just find that one, find the one golden nugget, you know, and you know, out of all of them that you list and then go run with that one. But until then you need to almost like hunt for that one, right? Just kind of like keep throwing things up there. Um, and the way to do that is obviously be efficient, like swipe what, you, what you're doing. Exactly. And either you can never oversaturate a niche all by yourself. There's going to be thousands of listings for any niche that you look at. If you start getting some sales in one niche, wouldn't you rather compete with your own listings than everybody else? Yeah. Why not have 50 listings in one search result? And then however many pages they go through, you're bound to be in there a bunch of times. You know, if they even click on one of yours, guess what? You're even more likely to come up when they search anything else because they've already clicked something of yours. And so the more you can be in front of the people that you want to buy your stuff, the better option you're going to have. You know, I think some of my niches that I've done well in like teachers, for example, I've probably 700 teacher shirts because that's a niche I've made a lot of money in. And a lot of those have never sold, but I am there in every search result for every teacher shirts, you know, love that. I love that. Um, when you say like you basically use the same SEO for every, every listing that you create, obviously you swap out mugs versus, you know, tote bag. Um, but that's interesting because I was always, I'm curious about this sometimes too, cause I hear different schools of thought. Like some people, when they copy the listing, make a new one, they, they say, tweak the tags. I hear this a lot. Here's some people like you just said like, Hey, just duplicate everything. It's all good. It's a different product. Um, do you think, how do you view, like, do you think that they ever compete with each other? Like as far as like ranking goes for like getting into rotation, what's your thoughts? Around I do. That? So I think it comes back to the scientific method. You know, you only want to split test one variable at a time. You know, if I'm making a couple different listings with different mockups, that's already such a huge variable because someone looking through the search results might specifically want a white sweatshirt over a black one. So if I had only posted the black one, they might never click on it and see that it also comes in white. And so you just scroll down a little bit and hey, there's my white one. Mm -hmm. So I want to be in the same search results personally when I'm posting all those designs. But let's say I have a design that does really well. You can look and see what keywords make that one successful. Because the way that it works is usually it's one keyword that you end up really ranking for. You know, you'll get a piddly amount of 20 other ones, but the majority of your search for a listing is going to be on that one key term. And so what you can try and do is niche down, you know, maybe make a more specific shirt. So maybe if you had a teacher shirt and that one did really well, you would niche down and make a first grade teacher shirt, you know, or a math teacher shirt. You know, you try and get somewhere else more specific with using that same big keyword for teacher shirts, maybe that you ranked for, but try and show up for some of those smaller niches. So I think split testing, the mock-ups being different for your first round. And then if that's successful, use the keywords that you found to be successful in your next batch of designs for that one, but then try some different ones and replace the keywords that didn't get search results is kind of my thought. I love it. Um, how often are you looking at your stats, your dashboard? How, how much of it is a numbers game to you? 
I don't look at my stats um, very often. You know, sometimes I'll look and see like what I, like I said, with bachelorette party shirts being my highest searched uh, term last month, you know, I always try and keep an eye on what I'm getting searches for, because a lot of times there's little golden nuggets in there. You know, someone will search something that's close to what you said, but not exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you'll get to find some of those like sub niches. And you're like, oh, I didn't know someone would want a mom version of the shirt that I made. Mm-hmm. And they just happened to click on mine. And so then I'll try and like make new ones. But typically most of my time is spent looking for new niches and making new designs. Awesome. Um, how do you use, because you're an Everbee member, how do you use Everbee to kind of like help you do that stuff? Like Absolutely. what are, a lot of questions I get is like, hey, how do I get the best use out of Everbee? Like what should I be using it for? How should I use it? How do you use it in your process? Absolutely. So my favorite way to use Everbee is stalking my competition. So I've got this list on my computer of shops that I've been stalking for a long period of time. So if I find a shop that's really successful, what I'll do is I'll write down their shop name and I'll write down how many sales they have and the date. And then periodically I'll check back in because it's really hard to tell when you find a shop that's been open for five years before ever be, you know, how successful each individual listing was and how many sales they're actually getting on average. And so again, you know, my biggest, you know, advice is to do what's working for other people, but make it your own. And so I really, now that I've found Everbee, it saved me so much time. I like going to these shops that I'm already kind of getting inspiration from and then sorting their listings by the most amount sold or the most average sales per month in an individual shop is where I use it most often. And that's where I find most of my new niches. So if someone has a bestseller in one thing, they're probably doing the right things to be ready for bestsellers on other things. And you can find a lot of other little hidden gems uh, for niches to try and get into as well. I love it. Yeah, thanks for breaking that down too. I, I, so for everybody kind of not familiar with Airbnb, basically go to a specific competitor shop that does, that seems like they do well, like they have a ton of sales that you kind of aspire to be like them. Click on analytics and basically sort by, as you mentioned, like the monthly sales, total sales or monthly revenue, and basically pull out which ones are actually performing the best for that shop. That's awesome. Yeah, before Everbee was a much more manual process. Most people have things on sale, so you can't just tell at a glance, looking at their shop, what people have in their carts. And most people have hidden like the, if you click someone's number of sales, you can see what they've sold in the past every single item but most people find out about out about that and hide it and so i'd have to sort their reviews and look through all of their reviews until i see the same one over and over again then i'd click that one and see it has 300 reviews you know so everbee definitely does the exact same thing that i was doing manually before but in seconds instead of you know 20 minutes of looking through someone's hundreds of reviews and there's only five on a page so you know or however many it just takes a lot longer so it's definitely been a really great streamline to the process I already was doing. That's awesome. Um, what do you talk, let's talk about conversion rates. What are you seeing that's like kind of, if someone were to ask like, hey, is my conversion rate good or bad? Is it average? What is like an average conversion rate in your head? What should someone be targeting for like in a print on demand space? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely low. You know, Etsy is a pretty competitive market. And so anywhere from, 
I'd say three to 6% is a pretty good average conversion rate. Uh -huh. If you have higher than that, again, you're probably a magical unicorn and I have no advice for you, um, but that's kind of where my average has been. But then there's also times where like you have a lot of competitors shopping you and shopping all the results. So I think it all gets a little bit skewed. I think all of those metrics are nice, but I wouldn't say that my conversion rate is something that I'd be concerned with unless I just wasn't getting any sales. Yeah. And then it probably goes to you missing something. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. Aren't good, you know. Okay, perfect. That's kind of where I wanted to go too, because I, sometimes I find, you know, some folks that I talk with, and they have like a one percent conversion rate. When I know the average for that industry, that niche is probably about two percent and above. Um, that definitely should be the target but they're like 1% and below. What would you say to somebody that has like a 1% conversion rate and they're not happy with their sales? Like, what do you see as the, as the issue or can they improve? Absolutely. So again, I think it comes down to having everything be as professional as you can. So if you have a 1% conversion rate, I'd really take a hard look at your own Etsy shop. Do you have a professional looking logo? Do you have a professional looking banner? Do you have the best mock-ups that you can literally find or are you using Printify or Printful's mock-ups with a white background? Um, is your design look realistic? A lot of people put their designs on the shirts in the wrong spot or angled wrong or too bright. Like, does it actually look like a real shirt? Mm -hmm. I love that. You, have, you know, a pretty size chart. Do you have a good description? You know, you want to have everything be right. I agree. Yeah. And sometimes people don't know what those everything's are. So I appreciate you kind of breaking those down too. I think like some of the simple thing is like, just make sure you have more images. I see a lot of times with like two images. Right? Hey, that's me. <clears throat> is it? Is It is. I have, on, it depends on how many colors I do. If I'm doing one color in a shirt, I'll do two pictures. So if I'm selling just a white t-shirt, I'll have two white pictures of t-shirts. I'll have a size chart. And then I'll have a little picture saying like, we don't take returns and exchanges, check okay. the size chart. You know, it has, says like three or four little things on it, but that's it. I don't do. So you have four, you have four in that case, right? Like four. Yeah, and that, yeah. Oh, so you're saying maybe someone would have like a picture of a shirt and then just a size chart and that's it. Or sometimes not even the size chart. Like they'll just have like a, a picture of a shirt and then like another picture of the shirt. I don't know. Like just yeah. basically, I think more images equals typically equals more credibility and more trust with with the shopper yeah it has to be done in the right way for sure you know i'd say at least two pictures of the shirt you know if i'm doing three colors i'll do one picture of each color you know yeah. and i that's nice enough i like to do like a flat lay shirt where it's like laying on the ground or hanging up by a hanger and then also do like a model mock-up as well so they can really get an idea of what it would look like on them yeah okay so yeah when i was saying that that's that's definitely not you what i was kind of thinking at least more so i was thinking of very like hey just throw this picture up there take it on my phone send it up there it's got like two pictures and that's it but you're establishing trust credibility plus your shop's like credible because you have a lot of sales and reviews so the combination really works for you um that's interesting okay cool uh tell us about revenue tell us what since like Give us an idea of how you've grown your successful shop, you know, in two years, like what does that even look like? What's successful to you? Absolutely. So my first eight months on Etsy, so like I said, I started pretty much in May of 2020 and between May and December, I sold $134,000 in revenue, 
was what I actually sold in t-shirts. And the crazy thing about that is I sold 70,000 of that in November. Mm. Well, now in 2022, in April, I've sold over $525,000 on Etsy. So over the half of a million mark now, which is pretty crazy for the first two years. Wow. That is incredible. I feel like that's so much, that's a milestone for so many people. It's a huge milestone and you're going to be probably getting a million dollars pretty soon. I'm sure. Yeah. I think it's just like anything else, you know, it's such a slow start, but as soon as that snowball starts going, you know, it's like your first hundred sales are the hardest, then getting to a thousand feels really hard, but getting to 2000 isn't as bad and so on. And now I think I've sold over 20,000 things and it all happened. It really feels so fast. So you have to keep in mind that the work you're putting in now is really going to pay off later. You might not see the results mm. three, four, five weeks from now, but a couple months from now, you really will. And it'll change your life that's amazing yeah five hundred thousand dollars in etsy i mean that literally is a life-changing number for a lot of people especially in a matter of two years right it's that's that's a big amount especially i know print on demand is is like a little less profit margins than some niches but i still imagine it's probably what 30 35 percent type of profit margins is that kind of what you'd expect in the print on demand world yeah absolutely i think um just to give people an idea in 2021 i sold 348,000 in revenue and about 90,000 of that was profit Amazing. That's one really important thing for people to remember is it's more about the end of the year. You know, the last quarter, you'll probably double, if not triple, what you made the rest of the year combined. So a lot of people that start this time of year and start really slow, you know, they get discouraged, they stop trying, and then they end up not being ready for Christmas, which is the biggest mistake anyone could ever make, in my opinion. Christmas for me, you have to kind of live in the future, starts in July. Hmm. I start doing listings. I actually have, if I could give someone one tip to be ready for the holidays is at the end of any holiday, like right now, Easter is right around the corner. It's too late to list new things. But what you should do right now is go see what's been bestsellers since everything's a bestseller that's going to be a bestseller at this point and take down notes of what to make for next year because nothing's worse than July coming and Christmas being months away and there's no bestsellers. You don't know what's gonna sell. And so I have a list from last year with a hundred different designs to make. And so I'm not starting from scratch this time. This is something I've kind of learned myself that's been really helpful the last few holidays is as soon as it's time to start designing, I already know what I'm doing. It's just a matter of making the designs, finishing the SEO and listing it and moving on. I already have a plan, if that makes sense. I love it. Okay. That's a great, 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 great tip. Um, because you have so many listings, you obviously run into some other big issues, right? Like trademark concerns, uh, copyright concerns. How do you battle that stuff? How do you make sure you kind of stay clear of any type of those issues? Absolutely. So copyright stuff, as long as you're not copying anyone else, you know, that's why you have to make your designs unique and different than the search results in the same niche. So if you don't copy anyone else, you should be mostly good on copyrights, but then you also need to stay away from any celebrities, any TV shows, any movies. A lot of people will sell those Jeeps. I know like a hundred people that's who've gotten trademark infringements for using the word Jeep. So stay away from any brand name. I know you'll see hundreds of Etsy shops selling Disney shirts, but just don't do it. They'll get you eventually. It's just a, you know, a matter of time. Mm -hmm. And so if you stay away from any of those things, trust me, there are enough niches to make money in without infringing on someone else's copyright. 
And then as far as trademarks go, I ch definitely check uh, USPTO.gov for any trademark terms before you make the design. Nothing's worse than spending all this time making a pretty design and making mock-ups and then finding out that it's trademarked. So check if it's trademarked first. And then one tip I'd give, since things can get trademarked after you make them, is unless you think someone's specifically going to look for that term that you put on the shirt, like let's use that but first coffee design earlier. If you think there's really gonna be hundreds and hundreds of people searching but first coffee, then fine, use it in your SEO, use it in your title. But they're probably not. They're probably looking for like funny coffee shirts. So instead of saying, but first coffee in the title or tags, just say the generic SEO, funny coffee gift, gift for coffee lover. That way, if that term gets trademarked in the future, the person who holds the trademark is going to go search, but first coffee on Etsy. And guess what? You're not going to come up. You have time to find out that it got trademarked and take it down. Love it. Okay. That's awesome. Really, really great tips. I feel like uh, so many successful sellers that do over six figures six figures per year on Etsy have this issue, right? It's, it's a concern. It's a, it's a, like an anxiety thing in the back of their head. Like, you know, just because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's always kind of in the back of your head. So if you just always keep it in the front of mind and be mindful and try and be careful, you'll probably be fine. But if you ignore it and forget to check, you, know, you have to check every word you use in your title, every word you use in your tags, every word you put on your shirt, even individual words sometimes can be trademarked. So you just have to take the time to check it all, even though it's annoying. Yeah, totally. I think it's just part of the business that you're in. That's one downside, right? There's a bunch of upsides to print on demand. There's a bunch of upsides to like selling on Etsy, but there are some downsides like anything. There's always a sacrifice and you have to be mindful of those things. Those are really, really important for your business. Um, how do you make sure you don't copy someone's design, right? Like, let's say I, I see a teacher sweatshirt and I'm like, I want to sell like teacher sweatshirts too. I like that niche. I'm a teacher or something like that. Right. And I see this one's crushing, right? It's doing like $5,000 a month in revenue. And I'm like, oh, I want to make something like that. Um, obviously I don't have the intention to copy them, copy the design, but I do want to model it, right? Take some pieces that do well, but obviously I want to make sure I'm not copying by any means. How do you, how do you get somebody through that thinking, right? How do you make sure that they're not doing that? Absolutely. So I would give someone the advice that the more important thing to copy is their SEO. That's why they're successful. You know, their design is probably good, but the reason why they are where they are is because of the SEO and people finding them in the first mm -hmm. place. So you can have the most beautiful design in the world, but if it's on the last page, cause you did a crappy title, no one's ever going to find it. Yep. And so, you know, a lot of people have that mindset in the beginning that you need to be like the same style to get sales, but you're just being the off brand version. You know, no one wants to be the Aldi of t-shirts, mm -hmm. you know, like just make the name brand one that's yours and you'll find a lot more success because there's already so many people copying that one. It's just a waste of your time to make anything similar. So again, like I said, you know, maybe do some research if you're new to designing, go through one day and take a bunch of pictures of shirts that you like the layout. You know, you like where the words are on the shirt, you know, like words curved up here over a graphic with straight words underneath and take a bunch of pictures of layouts that you like. And then maybe one day take a bunch of pictures of shirts that you like the color options that they have, you know, maybe the four or five colors in their design are really gorgeous. And then when you're going to make a new design, look through those two folders, 
and see if you can find some inspiration from something that's been successful in a different niche to make a design for this one. Mm. Because if you use the same layout of words with different colors in a new niche, that's not copying. You're making it your own, you're combining different things, but you're taking inspiration from things you already know work, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Thanks for nailing that down. I get that question all the time because a lot of times, and I understand it, I definitely, it comes from a play, it comes from good intentions, right? Like, I, I just don't know, nobody wants to copy everybody's stuff. Like, I don't no. believe that people want to do that. They just want the result that that would potentially get them. That's what they're after. So if they just knew it, my mission is like to show them a better way to do that. Um, because nobody, everybody knows that if you copy stuff, it just makes you feel bad. Uh, it's big risk for your shop. It's a big risk for you. It's not good for the marketplace. Um, so I think it's just like our mission as educators is to like help people see that there are better ways, more efficient ways that get you the same result or better, actually, probably a better result for everybody. So right. um, that's awesome. That's pretty much the main things that I wanted to talk about really. Uh, do you want to like share with everybody like where they can find you, where they can learn more about you, follow your story and follow like the fundamentals and strategies that you teach about Etsy? Absolutely. So, you know, I did just recently start my YouTube channel, but I've already got, you know, I think over 30 videos available there with teaching a lot of these nitty gritty things. You know, it's not a very fluffy channel. I like to get down in the details and show you step-by-step frame-by-frame exactly what to do so if that's your style you can follow me on uh, cassie johnson on youtube awesome i will link to that in the description below guys you guys need to go follow cassie she is awesome as you know um but yeah i really appreciate you staying on with us and talking telling your story yeah thanks so much for having me i love ever be so excited to be part of your channel that's so awesome yeah thank you okay talk to you soon bye yeah you guys watching the videos at the end again be sure to check out her youtube channel and link in the description below um, she shares tons of free strategies free tips on growing your Etsy shop uh, second if you're not using everybody yet go sign up for free in the description below you guys need to be using data to make decisions in your business find the best products to sell find the best tags to use on etsy or using everybody if you guys are already using everybody we love you we appreciate you we wouldn't be anywhere without our amazing 10,000 plus member community and finally, what did you guys learn from today's video? I'm curious, you know, what was there any big takeaway that made you say, aha, you know, comment down below. We do this videos for free. So any kind of feedback really helps us kind of craft the content that we provide. Appreciate you guys. And I'll talk to you soon.